Hi, I'm Shweta, your host for Science with Shweta podcast, and we are back with a new episode. Today, joining us is Sambit Praharaj. Sambit has completed his master's in computer science at TU Delft. He is currently a PhD student in the Technology Enhanced Learning Innovations Group at Welton Institute in Open University of Netherlands. His research primarily focuses on using multimodal learning analytics in a co-located collaboration scenario. Sambit has his YouTube channel where he shares his experience about study, travel, living and PhD life in general in the Netherlands and Europe. Let's talk to Sambit and know more about his journey. Uh, thank you, Shweta, for inviting me for this opportunity. And I could not have given a more better introduction for describing all my research and also about my channel. It's great yeah. to have you, Sambit. Yeah. So, uh, tell us more about yourself and uh, what field of science are you in? Okay. So, my field, uh, because most people confuse this with computer science. So, mm-hmm. in plain words, if I would say the research that I have been doing till now for last two years in my PhD is mostly a interdisciplinary field, which is a combination of primarily computer science and educational science mm-hmm. and some bit of artificial intelligence, if you have been hearing in different news. So going deep into it, it would be like if I describe in one line, like when you are doing some kind of group work in a classroom or some kind of project. So suppose take, for example, like you are given a group assignment where there are three or four members who need to do certain kind of group activity to solve that assignment. Then in that case, we use different kind of sensors, like suppose, for example, uh, microphones, uh, camera to track the behavior of these students when they are doing the group work. By behavior, I mean like how often they look at notes or uh, how they talk with each other with their group members or how often they look at the group members like their eye gaze or the uh, amount of speaking time from the uh, time that they spend in speaking we use these uh, so we call these things as indicators of collaboration so by collaboration I mean like how they collaborate in the group work in that particular context And then we use these indicators to frame a quality of collaboration and then try to use this to give a real-time feedback to support collaboration. So, for example, if each group member is occupying equal amount of speaking time when they are doing a group work, then we, from literature, we find that this indicates a good quality of collaboration and we... uh, so this is one of the metrics. So like that, we have different metrics and we use this to support collaboration. Suppose we find that they deviate from the standard quality to a certain extent, then we try to give some kind of real-time feedback, like showing them a visualization in real time or uh, changing something in the environment or any kind of intervention to support this kind of collaborative activity and primarily my research is focused on face-to-face collaboration so I'm not looking at remote collaboration which many people have been doing research for many years so in that sense the behavior part comes from the educational science and computer science is the part where we use this analytics uh, as you have introduced before by multimodal here you mean like 
different modalities like we have different senses to sense the environment so we have different modalities like audio or video and we get some insights or data from these modalities so that's why we call it like learning analytics like getting data or and using them to analyze the learner behavior or learner data or something like that i don't make it as clear but i just try to make it as simple as possible <laughs> yeah uh, the way you explain it makes it easier to understand yeah but it's really interesting i mean uh, i haven't heard uh, anything of like that before because all i have seen is like doing wet lab experiments but this is really interesting so like what got you interested in this field yeah the thing is that i think i have also made a video on this in my channel which was known as uh, something about accident so the first time i came to know about this was during my second year of my masters where I, when i was doing masters in computer science in tudel from 2015 to 17 mm-hmm. so in the first year i was not sure what kind of research i'm going to do because here in netherlands if you do a masters then the second year you need to do a thesis uh where you do an extensive research for a period of like uh 9 to 10 months and at that time i came to know about this field called learning analytics it is a very new field so even people from computer science might not understand this because it has been i think it has started really uh gain traction for like last 6 years or 7 years like that it has primarily been shown surface everywhere so the thing is that i wanted to make some impact i i mean i think every researcher who is doing research in any field will always think like some large scale use of their research in real life uh, scenarios so in my case when i talked with the this research group which i was interested in although it is not pure computer science but a mix of different fields they said that if uh, so i'm just going to talk in brief about the master thesis and the link to the phd so yeah. at that time i was not working exactly on multimodal learning analytics but i was working only on learning analytics it is like collecting learner data in classroom or through online courses where you are doing like a moocs or whatever uh, in edx or coursera i think most people know what is edx and coursera so the what happened was the supervisor whom i came across he said that you can uh, if you work on this project there is a phd from switzerland who has built a platform using which you can give live lectures in classroom mm-hmm. and then we collect different kind of data in the classroom from these learners so by data i mean like the click data or the amount of time that they spend in a particular slide or the amount of time they are distracted which is measured by the like how often they minimize the screen or there are many details so the main thing main summary is that that uh, that software was used in the classroom and my job was to uh, get some kind of uh, data like this data about the learner mm-hmm. and to analyze them later to form some kind of uh, behavioral metrics like how often they are distracted or uh, how often they are interested in certain time periods and what at that time the teacher was doing and how is this relation uh, helping some teachers who are going to design the course in future so it is most 
mostly classroom centered and we did all these experiments in bachelor classrooms so mm-hmm. they had like 300 students in a few days bachelor classroom and all my studies were like uh, in the bachelor classroom in tudal so that's why i was very happy that uh, i can see in uh, even in that short period of 9 or 10 months i can apply what i'm doing and i can see the benefit or the disadvantages or the impact of my work so that's why i was very happy because sometimes you do something but you see the impact like maybe uh, 2 3 months later but in my case uh, that motivated me a lot when i heard that you can apply it in real time in the classroom and have some impact and then i also did that and as my background was in that so that also when i was searching for the phd that also motivated me to look for something uh, which is related to uh, learning analytics and luckily i found this because if you ask any phd in netherlands i think it is also same for all countries it is highly uh, rare that people find something which is very similar to their master sometimes the project that you get during a phd maybe 50% or 60% matching but in my case it was almost like 90% and i had lot of freedom initially during my phd to frame my uh, research proposal based on this experience i had like mm-hmm. uh, and that is it also varies from person to person but that is what uh, my case was yeah so like if i get it right so you used to study the uh, like the behavior of the students and then this would help you to like build uh, some sort of programs which would help for uh, which would help to make it better the experience make it better yeah like yeah the in background. the classroom when okay. yeah okay this is really interesting because you know what i find intriguing is like we study uh, we have those protocols and we do wet lab experiments in biology but this is something really uh, different and, and like i didn't have uh, much idea that there are studies like this going on and as you mentioned i have also never heard of learning analytics or uh, any different field here in india as well yeah I, even i start because i i try to search for learning analytics after i have been involved for so many years and i think in iit bombay they have some programs whatever i have heard there's a department on educational technology or something i don't remember the exact name mm-hmm. but apart from that i didn't find any single hint in any iit or any university about research on this like uh, at least till now not in india apart from iit bombay yeah so like uh, you said you wanted to you know see the applications and that's what made you happy about uh, your phd or any uh, research ma- topic for that matter your masters research so like what are your future plans with your current phd project like what do you see what do you expect at the end of uh, yeah so in short i would say like uh, for for the main phd because it's a program of 4 years in netherlands mm-hmm. so i'm already like completing my second year and i have two more years so keeping that in mind initially you will think you always think like okay that is a too much long time period but later you realize like that is too short mm-hmm. so keeping that in mind i need to like first have this implemented in a small scale like for example first we are targeting like some group assignment in some nearby small universities near our uh, university in netherlands mm-hmm. and initially we are only focused on this one group or two group situation and later we will think about scalability that is where the classroom comes into picture like how can you uh, 
uh, have a better scalable system which can be also mobile or portable like people can carry it like suppose you have a just like Alexa you have a, a device which has this camera and the microphone or something attached to it embedded to it and you can use it to like place it somewhere in the middle and it will track all these things and send to a server or a centralized system or something like that so that is the long-term plan like you can say like five years or ten years plan even after I finish my PhD or towards the end of my PhD I don't know but I think for now it's only the small scale and later to make it scalable on a larger classroom or something like that yeah, and it's always good to see that your research is uh, taking uh, shape into some kind of application. It may be on a small scale, but it's always satisfying to see that your research has contributed towards uh, developing something or it's make, it's useful that way because at most of the time it's like you do it for the sake of your PhD and degree and then it's in the shelves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's completely <laughs> true. Like uh, for me at least that gives me always the motivation when I... Uh, I mean, every single day when I think about it or work on it, then I always think at the back of my mind, like, okay, this feature is modified like this. Okay, this is going towards this. And then I use this here and I see the results or maybe I see the result after one year, but still there is some changes and impact. And that is very important, like to give you a satisfaction of satisfaction. Yeah. So like Sambit, you just now mentioned about like you have not seen this type of course or heard of it anywhere else. And but we have uh, courses coming up like uh, machine learning and AI. So like can uh, if yeah. anyone wants to get into this, can if they study machine learning or AI, then get, get into this like what you are studying or there is some. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. So if you have a background in machine learning and AI, because we have also one colleague from Italy who is working on this, but his work is on individual expertise using multimodal learning analytics, contrary to my work on groups. Mm -hmm. But if you have a background in that, then you can certainly apply because when you go at a later stage, you need to build models. By models, I mean like Suppose you have a standard benchmark, you create a benchmark using the things that you have learned from AI or machine learning to create that benchmark model. Mm -hmm. And then you have a real-time system which is tracking all these things when it compares to the benchmark, that is your quality indicator. And it will say, suppose you are below the benchmark or above the benchmark, and then it will give you some kind of output, like some kind of feedback or whatever you want, depending on the system. So obviously you have a scope if you have a background in uh, machine learning AI, then you can use it when you are building the system, like uh, when you are in the building phase, building phase of the this kind of prototype or research. Okay, yeah, because I think those are new upcoming courses, which and many students are going for it. So, like, we have seen major changes and advancement in science and technology. So, I think this is also very helpful and different uh, field which you know students can look for. Yeah, 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 and. In this field, whatever, I, I want to just add a small thing that there was a researcher from Australia. I think because in Australia, they are doing a lot more work on learning analytics. Mm -hmm. I think if you see presently, the pioneers in this field are US, Australia, and Netherlands. Even in Germany, there has not been that much work in this. There is something called human-centered learning analytics, which is coming up very rapidly nowadays. There is also something called human-centered AI 
which was recently adopted by MIT with some billion dollar funding or something. I don't remember the numbers, but I saw it in some article. Mm -hmm. So the major reason of doing this is that there has been a lot of critics. If you follow the news currently, like Elon Musk and others who oppose the complete dominance of AI. So they uh, they don't want to lose that human in the loop. So they want to have that human element so that the AI system does not go rogue, if I'm telling it in very brief. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why these, these programs are started. So even in learning analytics, there's something called human-centered learning analytics. So apart from this AI or machine learning system, there will be a human who is always responsible for making sure that the quality is up to mark or I'm just telling this in plain words so that everyone can understand. Yeah. Or the AI system doesn't behave in a certain manner that is harmful for humanity, which is the, it seems it is far-reaching, but it's not far-reaching. Like the way there is progress in AI, there are also a lot of shortcomings. So that is another debate, but I'm just saying like, these type of topics are getting a lot of attention nowadays, like human-centered AI and human-centered learning analytics. And I think that is the right way, in my opinion also, like based on what I see, the type of research that's going on in that. Yeah. So like uh, we have these uh, cars coming up by Tesla, so like they are totally controlled. So like, is it related, the studies related to that sort of thing? like designing such things uh, using machine learning or AI to, you know, drive cars or maybe in future we don't know what else would be controlled. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to overcome those kind of threats, these, uh, I mean, not my research, but the human-centered learning analytics or the human-centered, I mean, it's not human-centered learning analytics, but human-centered AI, which is related, more related to the Tesla. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it was, some example given by even in Tudel they started a new research group on that just taking the example from MIT Mm -hmm. that there is something called the uh, what was the exact term I don't remember yeah so the thing was that in human-centered AI so you don't want the AI to dominate you so for example you are building a robot then you don't want that the robots should take complete control of the automation that you are doing Mm-hmm. Uh, rather you have some kind of uh, back channel or some kind of key so that you can stop it if it becomes threatening. That is the main idea behind this. So, so human intervention should be permitted. It should not be under the control of... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah it should not be 100% uh, AI. I mean, even though Elon Musk is involved in developing Tesla, but he was the first strong critic behind this because... If you have seen in the news, one or two years back, Facebook developed an uh, AI uh, language or something like that. And they had some bots that you find in Messenger and many places. Mm-hmm. So when they invented this AI language, then the bots were able to converse among themselves, like have some form of communication among themselves. And they developed another language which was even not understood by the human. Okay. So at that time, that created a red flag for lot of AI research institutes. And I think that was that the point when, I mean, all these things, I'm not, uh, I don't remember the exact timing of the facts, mm-hmm. but if you Google it, you'll find it like, uh, at that point, there was some discussion in MIT. And after that, there had been other different instances. And then they developed this uh, phrase like, 
which is now gaining a lot of traction, like the human-centered AI. And then even institutes like ETL Zurich and Pudels, they've also uh, taken up this phrase to design some code to work or research groups or special interest groups or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it makes sense because I'm diverting this discussion towards no, human-centered AI. Yeah, because, you know, it's always good to know things which we don't know. And this yeah, is I mean, it is kind of a thing that has some impact on the way we live and do maybe in 10, 20 years, it will have more impact. Yeah, and we just use things so uh, casually. We, we never think like how much uh, research or what all has gone into this. Yeah, 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 that's true. It's like it's advancing. Like I sometimes I believe that I think mobile phones have reached that time. Like now you can't, what else can you modify in this? And then we have in some like three, four years, some new thing coming up. So I think we are advancing at a really great uh, pace. Yeah, yeah, that's completely true. It's good. And like, as you said, you have to take into consideration some points and it's always good to think about it. And if people like, as you said, Elon Musk and all are thinking about it, then it's it's always better, you know, that you're thinking about the uh, side effects which would occur because uh, it's like crazy. Everyone is um, just not uh, developing this or sort of this thing, but like even students have like started going into that thing like, oh no, because machine learning and AI is going to have a great demand in future. So I want to study that. But there are equally people yeah. who oppose it saying that, no, uh, it won't work because artificial intelligence, you cannot trust entirely on that thing and there is no scope. So like there are kind of these two groups, which you can say, which keep arguing about that fact. Yeah, 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 true. That's why they have this, I mean, apart from the human-centered AI, they have also a, another group which uh, focuses more on the ethics and the privacy. So they are also going somewhat towards this human-centered AI, like the ethics and the privacy group, like where do we draw the line? Like we, we, if we give the, the robot or the autonomous system this much power, then where do we draw the line to think that, okay, this much is okay or a um, little bit more is okay, a little bit less is not okay. Where do we draw the line? They are always concerned about this question. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a broad field. And thank you so much for, you know, giving us this broad sneak peek of the research which goes into all these things. Because we, like I said, we really don't think much about it. We just start using things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes sense also, like everyone is not involved in this, but uh, you can just think or read something about it if you find it fascinating. Like, mm -hmm. so, uh, like you're in your second year of PhD, and uh, it's like it must be getting tough. So, like, how do you deal with it? What challenges did you face when you started your PhD, and what keeps you going? Okay, yeah. So. I just want to go back shortly to my master's to answer this question because when I started my master's thesis, which is very much related to the PhD because if you want to do PhD in Netherlands and if you are already doing master's, then you get a fair amount of idea about writing, which is very, very important because when you start your thesis, you need to write a proposal uh, that is called the PhD proposal. And I have seen people struggle a lot, but personally in my case, I did not find that much of an issue because 
when I started my master thesis, I had this issue with writing. So it was very difficult for me to frame a research question to start, uh, I mean, in a topic when you start something, then you need to frame a research question. So where you define the goals of your research or the objectives of your research. And for me, it was a very strange thing, maybe because of the way I have studied in India during my bachelor's from state universities. Mm-hmm. So during my master's, I mean, why I'm saying this? Because if I had not seen that in master's, then I would have definitely seen that problem coming in the first year of my PhD. Right. So because of that, like the, even my supervisors, they wanted me to, uh, they shared a lot of resources and they wanted me to come up with the research question before I go deep into the the topic that I'm doing my research. So they focused a lot on two things like your independence and your commitment. So for master thesis, it is a short time period. So you don't need to work that much on the commitment, but independence is very important. Like how independent you are and how, how much uh, your own uh, thinking or your own thoughts or your own way of thinking you can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So, in the, that part, I struggled a lot. I think it took me like two months. I have also said about this in some videos. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it is very funny because when I see it now, framing a research question is not a big deal. But maybe because of the type of mindset that I had, it took me quite a bit of time to get used to this and to mm-hmm. understand what it takes to frame a good research question, which is very simple. But sometimes you start thinking very uh, in a very complex way and then you just uh, block your mind to a lot of simple things that you can do instead of uh, making it too much complex. And apart from that, during my uh, first year of my PhD, sometimes it is like a mix of things. So sometimes you feel like, should I uh, continue this or... It depends, like suppose when you're framing a research proposal, then sometimes you feel like, uh, should I continue this or should I leave this PhD and go to another PhD Mm -hmm. or should I go back to the industry and start working and I'm not any more interested in the PhD. Sometimes people get this kind of thought. So I, I did not have the thought of leaving the PhD, but I have heard from people who have this. But one thing I can say is that if you are really... If you are really committed from the beginning and you have made up your mind, then I mean, either do it or don't do it. If you go into it, then Maybe I don't think you should think of going back. Like, yeah. I mean, if you don't want really, then just don't go for it. Like, if you go for it and then waste like one year and think about these kind of things. So the main point that I'm trying to make is like, you need to push yourself and motivate yourself only. Like, your supervisors are there for a certain time period or maybe it depends on how much time you meet. I mean, I don't know if everyone meets every week, but in our group, it's always like we meet one hour or one and a half an hour. The, I mean, the personal face-to-face meetings, one hour or one and a half an hour every week. And apart from that, you can always meet in lunch or coffee machine or other kind of things. But that period is really important. Like, you need to build a good rapport because that is again connected to my master thesis experience that I had two supervisors, one from Germany and one from Italy. Mm-hmm. And 
I understand that there are a lot of cultural and other differences, but still the supervisor who was from Italy, I had some issues because he was very uh, short-tempered and he has very high expectations. So personally, I would say he's very intelligent, but the way he uh, guides or coaches someone who is new, mm-hmm. I don't think that kind of approach will work with everyone. That was my take on it. So I had to adapt to his uh, way of uh, speaking and so I had some issues in the beginning in that. So that helped me to have some uh, experiences going into the PhD and I did not have any problem of understanding or communicating during my PhD but again that was because I had this experience during master's. So it is very important for a PhD when you start to build a good rapport and have a good communication channel going both ways with your supervision team. Like you need to be very open and always consider them as their, as your family. Like uh, otherwise you cannot, unless you think them from that open perspective, I don't think you can communicate all your problems or sometimes you need to also disagree. That is a thing. I I didn't know about it. Like when I started my PhD, that, that cannot be a problem, but that is something I learned in these two years is that you should be also good in disagreeing certain things which are beyond your control or this is not at all possible, uh, even if they expect from you because their expectation will always be super high as compared to what you can uh, deliver or what you can achieve. But you should always keep that in mind and self-assess yourself and try to intervene or say the things openly. Be open and have a good communication channel and have that perseverance and self-motivation or the optimism and think of it like in short, I can say think of it like a marathon uh, and not a race like PhD is like a long process and once you are into it, then you need to go into it or finish it. So like absolutely right and I guess uh, how much you have to be prepared with you know like with your knowledge and all you have to be uh, mentally strong as well mentally prepared for your PhD and you should have that determination. Yeah yeah absolutely absolutely like the because I mean I hear this a lot even in Quora and all of the Q&A platforms you'll see people write answers about PhD like PhDs are most depressed and um, they don't have a life. Is there a life for PhD? We we also did a small workshop on this during a summer school because during a PhD you can, uh, if you are in Netherlands, I think it's same for all over the world, but in Netherlands you can go for the summer schools which happen every year in your research field. Mm-hmm. And in there you can organize workshops, meet people and build your network. And that is also one thing I missed, like you should start building your network because you never know to what direction it can take you. Like initially you'll think like what is the point of uh, building a good network but you will realize it once you have that network and at some sudden instances when you are not expecting anything at that time you'll find the benefit of that network like once you have that from the beginning right from day one. So uh, 
like how did you prepare for your studies abroad uh, usually you know here at least from india people usually prefer to go to usa or germany like they are the top options and maybe second is like canada or australia but usually uh, like netherlands is the you can say fourth or fifth option so like you had this in your mind you wanted to go there or uh, you just came across some project which was of your interest and then you decided to go to netherlands for your studies uh no i mean to be absolutely frank uh my first choice was also us okay uh i did not do that i would say zero research i did zero research on going to netherlands mm-hmm. uh even i didn't have anyone from india at that time i didn't know anyone like suppose i can ask like how much uh, what are the requirements or uh how is the education system there and all type of things so my story is like i applied for seven us universities i think and i got admitted from four mm-hmm. one university in canada one in netherlands and that was tudor but when i got the admit it was like there was some i think it was illinois chicago and southern california i don't remember exactly or arizona state university mm-hmm. but if you go by the rankings and the money so at that time i just tried to compare the the type of uh, education that they are giving in computer science the ranking reputation other kind of other factors and also the money but at that time something happened maybe that is like so there is a quote in alchemist which says like i think it was like when you want something then the nature just uh, tries to take you in that direction i'm just telling the simplistic meaning of that line but it was something else mm-hmm. so in my case like i wanted to do masters but most of my research was on us but because of this money and other things i decided to come to netherlands like uh, if you see the rankings at that time i think tudor was like between 50 and 100 and the ones that i got admit were also between 100 150 or 50 or 100 in the world rankings mm-hmm. and southern california is like in the top 20 but it's very expensive as a private university so unless you get scholarships or you are sure you are getting scholarship it's really really super expensive yeah so i think these are the two factors which help which caused me to come here in this direction but it was not purely predecided like the before coming to netherland mm-hmm. and i would say like uh, at that time even the euro also like i don't know like it was some kind of uh, indication for something I, i have no idea like but at that time euro was also like 66 i think that was the only year the year before that it was 84 and in 2015 when we paid the tuition fees for one year it was 66 and i didn't have a scholarship so because most people think like uh, uh, i had scholarship but i didn't have a scholarship and uh, because of that 66 the cost was really almost half if you consider the two years cost what we paid and what people are paying now is almost similar to us but what we paid in that period it was really less if you compare to us almost like less than even 50% yeah it's also a factor which we have to take into consideration when we decide to study abroad because fees are very high yeah i mean i think finance is the first thing unless you are yeah. like you your family is like that or yeah 
so like uh, though netherlands was not your first choice but then how has been your experience until now you did your masters there and uh, you're doing your phd yeah there. yeah it's really good like i i mean especially i was skeptical because computer science uh, i mean what i realized what i thought was that maybe it why is there not such advertisement or so much people speaking about that but uh, i mean especially some universities here who who have computer science courses i was just thinking like that when i reached here but after i started my thesis i saw that the their style of working and their discipline like the the best thing that i like of anything in netherlands anywhere you go maybe to a supermarket or to the traffic or to the way they teach or to the way you do your deadlines research and other things is the discipline and the strict rules like it should not be called strict but like they have this fixed criteria like suppose time wise they are always on time and apart from that even during this they have this methodological approach like the systematic disciplined approach which they follow in every case even uh, if you ask any dutch people they will always say like every inch of land in netherlands is well planned yeah uh, so that is reflected in every sector in netherlands even during work culture or in when you are doing a thesis everything is planned and you need to stick to it and after like one or one and a half year you you get used to that and that helps you a lot when you realize that how much time we have saved having that methodological and systematic approach and how much because time is like money so that again reflects it is like exponential thing so that will reflect in again multiple sectors that you are saving time and then you are able to do suppose extra part time job or you are able to apply some more applications or you are able to uh, work on something else that you like maybe do some sports or something like that and this approach the way they work the systematic and methodological approach i have been stressing it three four times mm-hmm. is really the the best thing that i like about uh, and no doubt the quality is also really good like yeah. after i finished my thesis i came to know that they they also believe in this kind of collaborations with different uh, universities and countries and this also helps to expand your horizon when you work with different people the way they think and uh, the way they approach something and that helps you to gain a completely wider perspective of things mm-hmm. yeah i think that's what um makes a difference you know studying and it makes your overall experience good and then you start to enjoy things rather than take it as some job or burden you start to enjoy yeah yeah that that, that 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 is that is a very good thing you mentioned like i think i also missed that during the phd like when you are doing a phd or maybe you are working if you enjoy that process then only you can uh get the most out of it otherwise you will think of it as something like a boring tedious work that you do every day like yeah so uh like you have your youtube channel called uh, sambit phd so tell us more about it yeah so i think you gave a very nice introduction in the beginning about it mm-hmm. like i share my phd experiences and about the general experiences of studying and living in netherlands right from uh, applying for tax allowances simple things like shopping in a supermarket or uh, traveling using the transport card and 
so there are like everything from right from simple things to very complex things of filing your tax returns or because I mean they are not complex but most people they try to hire agents to fill it but I have done it myself so that's why I just share them so that maybe some people who want to do it themselves might find it uh, useful to uh, take it so the primary theme of the channel initially the way it was built was to share my weekly PhD experiences normally people try to I don't think people try to do it. I've heard from few people that they try to maintain a diary of their PhD. Maybe it is completely related to the research, but not about their life. And if you see, there are some YouTube channels where they share their PhD experiences. But it's, I think, I mean, I'm not trying to compete or contradict with any channel. I'm just saying in general, like to, uh, that these channels, they generally give like, Suppose they have a defense coming, the defense that you have at the end of your PhD. Mm -hmm. So they maybe they share that, or maybe they share something in, useful like the apps that you should use, or the, how you do a literature survey, or something like that. But I have not seen in my visibility any channel where they share their weekly experiences. And although it sounds very boring, but still, I just, I mean, the main reason I started this was. For me as a self-reflection, even though most people are not interested to watch the weekly PhD experiences, but still it will be kind of a self-reflection for me when I combine my research and my daily life and share it as a short two minutes or five minute video of PhD experiences. But if, apart from that, the reason I started all these other things that I mentioned, like the shopping and tax allowance and other kind of things so because i was writing answers in coda like uh, i think it was 2016 i think after i finished one year of my masters mm -hmm. i saw that many people from india and other places they were interested to study in netherlands but they didn't have that much of genuine information for from anyone and i also had that when i came here for the first time i virtually knew nothing about Netherlands. So in that quota, I used to write answers every week, like uh, some questions about the TOEFL, GRE, or some university education system, grading system. There are many types of questions. So I think after writing there for like two, three months, many people started to personally send me messages. I think in a year, uh, around 40 or 50 people contacted me. Some people asked to have a look at the SOP or some people asked to, it was not only Netherlands, even people asked to have a in general look. I think they were mostly from India and they asked to have a look at the SOP if they're applying for Denmark or some other places in Europe. And then I saw that like the amount of help I can, I mean, I obviously, I personally, I felt happy helping them, but the thing was that it was just on a personal level and then it gets lost. Like suppose I tell them that you modify this, this, this in SOP and then that only gives him or her the benefit and then that's lost. Like it's not documented anywhere unless I write that in Quora or any other medium. So that's why I thought like if instead of uh, giving this help on the personal level, if I can also uh, put these things in my channel because it's already about sharing my PhD experiences so I can also say something about what I did during my stay in Netherlands. Uh, 
mm-hmm. then it can help a wider range of audience like uh, yeah to get this benefit so that was the main goal of starting from going from kora to so nowadays i don't write that much in kora but i always redirect them to come to this uh, youtube channel to get help and actually i think youtube is a great medium to reach out to people yeah yeah i mean at least i don't know how long it is going to go but till now what i'm seeing at least something in a video format uh, i mean especially youtube not video format in a personal website but youtube is very uh, effective in knowing these kind of things like suppose i mean you cannot show the supermarket in any other i, I mean you can obviously write a blog but still the experience yeah. that you get in that 2 minute video is much different than the experience that you get by reading a page in some situations yeah but like i have to say this and i would encourage our listeners to uh, you know go visit your channel because i found it really informative and helpful sitting here if you are planning to study in netherlands or for that matter i guess i can say for europe then you should definitely check some bits uh, you know youtube channel it will be really helpful because you get to know about almost i think you have recorded everything right from like supermarket how is the studies and how you can get small small things done when you reach so it's, it's yeah yeah i mean at least for netherlands i have covered almost touched upon all parts like yeah. the different things that you really need as a beginner and it's always good to see you know see things because you know you just walk around you had that video of supermarket like you said so it's always good to see rather than to read or listen or hear about it like that so it's it's nice yeah 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 thank you also for promoting my channel oh that's okay because it's really great and helpful and i guess if it reaches more people it will be helpful yeah uh like uh, do you have any advice for people you know who are interested in your career path or like who want to study in your field or related field yeah uh i mean in general i would say i see nowadays these kind of people coming because this uh if like i th- i think you are also coming to netherlands to do projects or internships right like yeah, uh, i'm coming for my research uh, like you can say research yeah, program yeah so i Mhm. So I have also seen some of my relatives recently coming to Germany and also to Netherlands who are like in the final year of their bachelor's and they do some short 6 month summer exchange program or some internships and I did not know much about that when I was doing my bachelor's so I would advise anyone who wants to do masters after you finish your bachelor's to go in that path because that helps a lot to know about everything before you come in here come in here by giving that much commitment and money and other kind of things and maybe you will also get a scholarship depending on where you are going because you already know your group and the professors and uh, how they work so i would advise you to start preparing for this maybe in second or third year of your bachelor's if you want to do it internship or project in the final year so that you have that uh, link established already before you are coming here for has studies or something like that yeah yeah and apart from that i mean i i don't want to give any general advice like be positive and this kind of thing mm-hmm. but uh, this is a good approach and another very small thing is that 
if you are, I mean, nowadays, I mean, here you need TOEFL or IELTS, like the English requirement. But GRE, during my time, there was no one asking for GRE. But nowadays, I'm seeing some universities asking for GRE. Maybe because they have a lot of students coming and they cannot accommodate everyone. So they want a um, selection procedure where they can eliminate a lot of applicants. Because all these selection procedures are based on elimination in the beginning and then they select applicants. It's not selection primarily, it's more elimination. So you should start preparing for those kind of tests also, like maybe in second year or third year. And apart from that, I would say this is like a general thing, like build a good, I don't know, like it sounds very cliche, like uh, try to um, advertise yourself. Like uh, by advertise, I don't mean like to uh, sell yourself. I mean, in a way it is like selling yourself, but try to have a good, maybe a website or a blog mm -hmm. or uh, a LinkedIn profile or anything where you can project what you are doing. And apart from that, try to do, do small projects. Like maybe even if in your home country, you can do short internships, maybe in IITs or in some research organizations. So these kind of things will help you a lot when you apply outside. They'd like to have a good profile. And by profile, I mean like, unless you have this kind of, uh, sharing mediums uh, where you can project yourself, build an image, then it will be difficult to convince someone to uh, hire you if you're applying for PhD directly or jobs also. Like, So I think these are the things that I would say to focus and rest of the things you'll hear in every place. Like. Yeah. I think these are the most important points you have touched because we uh, are, you know, we are not out there. Uh, we don't uh, do much of, like you said, blog writing or LinkedIn profiles. We don't have that stuff because, you know, we don't use much of that uh, media, at least here in India. But like if you see, uh, yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. has their own blog and uh, they have their very well-maintained LinkedIn profiles. I think, yeah, these are very important points which you touched. Yeah, I mean, even when I left India at that time, I don't know how, but Sometime during my internship in IT in third year, I got to know about LinkedIn and I just built it. At that time, I was just thinking like it's like a it, it it is for business professionals. That was my conception because I didn't know much about it. Yeah. But I just had it, and that's the reason why it grew a lot when I reached here before I reached here. But apart from that, I didn't have anything else. So then I realized after coming here, like people are so much uh, in advance. Uh, if you compare the way we were and at that age and the way they are here. I mean, you should not also compare always, but sometimes it helps. Yeah. It helps you to grow if you just look what others are doing or, you know, what is important. Yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Samit, for, uh, you know, sharing us, uh, sharing your tips with us. And I think they are definitely going to help our listeners. So like you mentioned earlier, like there is very uh, good work-life balance in Netherlands and like you're doing your PhD. So you have also probably learned how to manage your time. So like what do you like to do in your free time? Mm, yeah. So I, I mean, personally, I like cooking a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. Nowadays it has reduced, but 
in the beginning when I came, it was not that much. But when I started my PhD, my first thought in my mind was to start my first cooking channel instead of doing the channel that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. So in this channel also there are some cooking videos, but they are not professionally shot because I was doing it myself. I need someone to help me, obviously. Mm -hmm. So. I like cooking and apart from that, obviously, I like making videos, which is like the weekend thing now because Monday to Friday I work on the PhD and rest of the days I uh, either travel or do editing and these kind of things. So these are the two basic things I would say, like uh, uh, cooking and anything related to blog. Yeah. Uh, so I also saw that you recently uploaded a video where you were playing cricket. So like, do you do that often? Uh, I think that was the first cricket that I played during my PhD. During my masters, I used to play in Delft. Uh -huh. But uh, in PhD, I think, I mean, this was also like someone saw my video. There is a group in Facebook called Indians in Maastricht. Uh -huh. And someone saw the video on some tax allowance and he applied for it and he got the benefit and then he just contacted me and asked like we play cricket do you want to join us and i said why not like uh, i have not played for like one and a half years around one and a half years after i came here mm -hmm. so in maastricht there is a big indian community so they play cricket every weekend and after that i am like playing i have not made other videos but i am playing almost every weekend it has been like a month Okay, so like, do you watch any series? Are you following any series? Uh, I watch a lot. I mean, I started watching like in, uh, I think during my third year bachelor's or something. Before that, I was not that much into the series. Mm -hmm. What was the, I think, I mean, in general, there are like different genres that I like. Uh -huh. One is like, your, I think Game of Thrones, everyone likes Game of Thrones. So there's yeah. no point of uh, saying much about it. And apart from that, there is like, have you seen Mr. Robot? Um, it's like, a, it is like a, I would say people who are interested in AI and all, you might like it. I mean, it is obviously a drama and everything, but it has a lot of element of this uh, hacking and cyber security and all these things. Like, mm -hmm. uh, so that is one of the, and there is one recent one, Black Mirror. Yeah, Black Mirror. Uh, that yeah, is one of yeah. the most insightful TV series that I will, I always, I like every episode of Black Mirror. Like, mm -hmm. it's really nice that, that how they can think about 50 years, what is going to happen, and they show it in reality. Mm -hmm. And apart from, I've seen a lot of uh, normal series like, uh, I mean, Friends, and uh, I mean, it's difficult to say now. There will be like 20, yeah, yeah. 30, so <laughs> Da Vinci Demons, and there are many series like. Yeah. So like you're into this, you like to do this in your free time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, now I think it has reduced, but before this, before I start, that started the video, I was watching a lot. Okay. And, and this also, I would say like this helped me a lot to improve my uh, English speaking and mm -hmm. I would say listening because if I hear any kind of English accent now, and if even if they speak really fast, I don't think I have ever any issue, but that thing also comes around after you hear a lot of different kind of people. But that is the reason, like I learned a lot of rich vocabulary after watching the TV series and it's somewhat, it was a learning experience and also entertaining. Yeah. 
it's always a plus point that you know you get used to that you get adapted to the way they speak so it helps you when you go there for your studies yeah, yeah. that's true really yeah so like uh, do you like to travel you do you travel often or read books like other than this yeah i think uh, i mean reading books is one of the great things that everyone should do i always say people but i myself is uh, i would not say hesitant but i think i'm very lazy because i started reading i mean in the beginning of this year i thought like i'll read one book every month because they help you to know a lot of things that you don't know from other sources mm-hmm. but uh, i could not come, come, keep up with my uh, promise but i think i have now like three books in line which are in my opinion great books mm-hmm. and i'll try to finish them at least by the end of the year so there will be not 12 books but at least three books yeah. i don't <laughs> read that much books but i think you might have heard about the 21 lessons for the 21st it's very famous yeah 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 uh from israeli author he's really famous he's also in this field of uh, humanities mm-hmm. linguistics ai and all these things and there was another the elon musk autobiography i think by someone else i mean i follow him a lot so mm-hmm. i'm like a die hard fan of elon musk uh-huh. and i like his uh, over ambitious ideas that the way he <laughs> says things although he doesn't plan to really achieve them but sometimes he does and people are surprised like yeah yeah that that that's it i could say like uh, till now i'm not a big book lover maybe i will become soon like yeah if <laughs> you just keep on reading yeah yeah okay uh, do you want to add anything or shall we conclude uh i think i'll just uh, i say this line in every i think even in my doctoral consortium presentation mm-hmm. even in my yearly review presentation and every presentation i give or the interview i always conclude with this line which i like the most mm-hmm. uh it was a very good uh, line by michael angelo he said that the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high mm-hmm. and we miss it but that it is too low and we reach it yeah so i like this a lot it's very well put but i mean i say that you should be over ambitious but you should have that level of ambition otherwise you are not going to go anywhere like yeah and this aligns a lot with the ideology of elon musk also like you should take certain amount of risks whatever you are doing maybe your project or you are starting a company or you are doing anything in any field you are working it's like very well put through yeah yeah i mean it it kind of sums up everything because during my one year review also there are people from external committee from us and they said that this proposal seems very ambitious and then i put this line and they were like uh, i mean i also agree that it is ambitious but that's mm-hmm. how you do it you have this uh, you raise the bar when you write your proposal and then later you realize okay i can reach to this level or something like this but from the beginning if you try to lower it down then there's no point of yeah. uh, going ahead with this that is how i see it yes definitely so thank you so much samvit for talking with us thank you for you know sharing those little tidbits and helping us out with your tips and it was really uh, fun to talk to you it was 
a great experience for me to learn about different side of uh, you know research what's uh, there apart from this and it's really interesting and i, I like i'm really intrigued and now i'm going to like search and what is all this and thank you so much so much for sharing with us yeah yeah Th- you also thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, wonderful thing that you are doing by share by uh, the podcast because i i also get requests from people to uh, put the audio version of what i'm doing because sometimes people like these kind of interviews people don't have time to uh, watch the full videos and they prefer to have this kind of uh, you know the audible that amazon has the yeah yeah Uh, so nowadays people are going towards this like suppose they are doing a workout in the gym and they have that plugged in their ears and they can hear the whole interview or read the whole book by the audio that is preferred nowadays by most youngsters who are such who are in crunch of time so yeah. in that sense this is a very good initiative like what you are doing by sharing different experiences and everything thank you so much thank you so much it was great to talk to you thank you for joining us Yeah yeah thank you all to you Thank you so much for joining us Sambit it was great talking to you and thank you for sharing some valuable tips with our listeners If you want to connect with Sambit you can contact him on any social media the links are available in the show notes If you'd like to connect with us have any questions or suggestions you can contact us thank you for listening science which with a podcast